0: day live and i'm graham lynch this week we have a very special episode some of you might be aware that we held our 2021 edition of the comms day summit this week and uh, it was a big event we had over 300 people come and we had over 30 speakers there including tilstra ceo andy penn optus ceo kelly Bayer rosmarin nbn ceo stephen rue many others focus announced a new fiber network in western australia Um, There are are lots of other announcements as well. There's one particular part of the conference that I wanted to highlight in this week's episode. And that was what we called the Great 5G Panel, which we held on the afternoon of day one of the event. Um, The idea behind it was to combine some of the greatest minds in the mobile sector to give us a state of the 5G nation. Where are we at with 5G? Uh, The panel was chaired by the ABC host, MC uh, Steve Kinane. Um, and the panel itself featured Telstra network engineering executive Ash Hunter, Optus director network planning, access and quality Kent Wu, TPG Telecom GM wireless transmission network Diego Lopez, Nokia Oceania CTO Rob Joyce, VMware Telco Solutions architect Asia, Pac and Japan Aral Damaliam, and Ericsson acting head of network solutions ANZ James Evans. So uh, we'll we'll have a listen to the audio of the panel, Um, kicked off with Steve Canane. Now, just a a warning in advance, the quality of the recording is not optimal um, due to circumstances in the auditorium. We couldn't get a direct soundboard recording. It's an air recording. We've tried to do a bit of processing on it to improve it, Um, but but please uh, accept my apologies in advance.
1: (laughs) So the way this session will work is we'll ask a question We'll start with Ash and move along the line, and um, everyone will get an opportunity to answer the same question. Obviously, some people might have more expertise in some areas than others, and that's okay if you are brief and other people are expansive, that's okay, but we'll throw each question to all of you. So, Ash, you got a microphone? You're ready to go? Yes, it is. Fantastic. All right, first question. The big inversion of 5G is coming. How will it change
2: industries and the economy? Oh, I think, um, I always think the streets are pretty instructive in these sorts of things, and when I look back over the 1980s until now, with 1, 2, 3, and 4G mobile technologies, we've seen just how much the economy and, and society has changed with each of those generations, and I, I really believe that the fifth generation 5G is actually going to be the most sort of um, you know, impactful technology change of the 2020s, and, and start that decade obviously coming out of a uh, sort of a forced shift to digitisation with, with COVID, um, but we've all learned to, to really embrace digitisation much more than we have before, uh, whether that's for um, things like telehealth or, or working and studying remotely or, or e-commerce and the way we interact with business. Um, but 5G is going to take that to the next level, and, and what that, that means is for, forward for the decade ahead, I think. You know, we may be currently using Teams and Zoom and other things, but I can certainly imagine a future in the next 10 years where we have much more um, immersive experiences available for things like concerts or theatre or sport, um, or even you know, significant family gatherings, and, and those sorts of things uh, are going to require new capabilities, new capacity, new speed. Um, and that's just one use case, and 5G use cases are continuing to evolve. And I'm always amazed at the innovation that comes out uh, as technology enables it. So as we not only you know, emerge from, from the COVID period, but also as we face the decade ahead, I think uh, you know, industry is starting to see benefits from 5G already today, whether that's through automation, uh, these kind of things, um, even just mobility, uh, all the way they interact richly with their customer base. And, and that's gonna mean that our economy and our, our society um, can really benefit them. I'm, I'm happy to say that Australia's in a great right position because Telstra is a world leader with those sorts of technologies and with 5G available, today more than two-thirds of Australians where they live and we're expanding at 75% of the population, by June, um, will be well positioned to take advantage of all of those opportunities. Ken, okay, do you want to take on the same
3: question? How, how will it change industries and the economy? Yeah, sure, thanks. Um, yeah, so 5G with the capability of providing the ultra high-speed Um, the low latency and as well as the massive connectivity. These key attributes are really going to be the enablers for many consumer-driven use cases and as well as the enterprise use cases as well. And the year of 2020 and now 2021 has really seen the huge interest and take-up in both the consumer and the enterprise sectors. So I think this industry powered by 5G is only going to accelerate and deliver more and more benefits for both the consumers and enterprise segments uh, in the future. And uh, given the the huge interest in markets, now for Optus what we see is that definitely we will embrace this technology, we will look at the technology leadership, innovation and co-creation with all our partners Across the segments, across the business and industries, to fully leverage and to uh, benefit the potential from the potential of the five G technology. So we have worked with you know many uh, partners, and we have demonstrated those capabilities uh, in the past, uh, many showcases, demos, and product launches as well. Um, just like we see in our Optus CEO's message this morning we are using the technology capabilities and the 5G um, advantages to launch new products uh, around the living networks, the features that we can deliver the true uh, benefits to our customers and to monetize those capabilities as well. So I think this industry is really accelerating, really creating that exciting opportunities for everyone, for consumers, for, for enterprise alike. And uh, Optus is in the forefront of this uh, technology and embracing 5G. And we are delivering uh, the, the fastest 5G network in Australia. So that's really something that, yeah, <laughs> when the stimulus oh, the Ash ended his uh, speech, right? So it's good to uh, make use of this chance to, 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 to help to promote our brand as well. But oh, of course, these really bring the benefits to our, to our customers. So, really exciting time, really great
4: great future. Yeah. From my perspective, when you look at uh, the impact that 4G had in our, in our society, by enabling the smartphone revolution, and with the smartphone revolution, 4G just provided connectivity, very simple connectivity, but more or less everywhere, to a standard device, which just a smartphone that um, we all have. And one of the key pieces was that we're using a standard operating system, to two standards that um, are the most common there. And, and that, you a pure system of, um, you know, any developer in the world, world could create an app. And first of all, that app would work everywhere because it's using a standard OS. And then, uh, that uh, developer would take that uh, leverage the marketplace of those um, uh, OS providers to make sure that uh, the app is available everywhere in the world with a market reach of billions of people on a click. Basically, that was the biggest uh, step in our generation in terms of consumer digitalization. And has changed dramatically industries, consumer-focused industries, like uh, entertainment, media, the creation of social media that didn't exist before. Um, And everywhere that we have a customer, a consumer interaction, 4G and the smartphone generation has helped to, to digitize that interaction. When I'm thinking about 5G and when in TPG Telecom we think about 5G, we think that's okay, the industries, uh, consumer industries, 5G is going to improve them. But what about all the other industries that we have around us that are not digitized? And that's the digitalization that we need to bring with 5G. When we think about Australia, we have um, obviously transport, we have mining, we have healthcare. You know, okay, the, the opportunities are, are endless. And, and that's something that we are very focused on. In in TPG what we wanna be is uh, position ourselves as the telco that we can we can do whatever private method that um you know they and leverage our global uh, agra- arrangements before of the group or Hutchinson to to deliver on that. All right. Rob, how will um, how
1: will five G change the economy and industries? Yeah, I mean that's a good one. I mean we heard about uh, consumer and I
5: think to be fair I've got a 5G phone and it's on Yago's network and um, and it works well but I think there's not really much difference between a really high end 4G phone and, and a 5G phone today. So from a consumer point of view until we move to a, a new form of device I think the jury's still out. You know, but, what I would say is in enterprise, it's a different story. Uh, Nokia now provide more um, private wireless networks in, in Australia uh, than anyone else. I think, uh, as Anna said this morning, we're seeing some massive productivity savings. Uh, and, and going back to your point about the big inversion, Bell Labs wrote a paper called the Big Inversion earlier this year. And what we're seeing is most of the spend today, 70%, 70% of the ICT spend, is still in the digital industries. But it's the, it's the 30% physical industries that are set to benefit more from the productivity gains and digitisation. And what we actually see is by 2030, it will be a flip in terms of the spend. Only 35% of that spend will go on digital industries. 70% will be on the physical industries, the factories of the future, except for the smart cities. So, so that's where we see the real benefit of 5G coming. Of course, consumers will benefit when there's a new type of device, I believe. But definitely, in terms of industry, twenty, thirty,
6: then it's still it's, it's really what's your view on this? What, what impact it's going to have on the economy? And I was the... trying to think uh, how to sort of differentiate, right? <laughs> so, picking up from where Ash and uh, Kent uh, left off, I think uh, I'll look at it, I'll, I'll sort of come around with a little bit of a uh, reference, right? It's like on a chessboard, you make that move, just one critical move, opens up the game. That's 5G, right? It's, it's not, it's not the entire set of use cases. It's that enable, right? So for us, for me, the way I see 5G, yes, it unlocks a lot of opportunities, use cases. But I think there's two aspects to it that I would love to, you know, share. Is one is operations, right? How do we operationalize? It? Because we have never, we as a telecom industry have never been part of uh, such a large cloudification. I should say we are moving from just out of scale. We are moving from a six to eight data center network to maybe a few hundreds including the edges, including the centers. So we need to start looking at operations as, as a part of it. The other aspect which I really want to highlight is the, how do you build that ecosystem? Who's going to deliver these services? Who, Who is going to, like, how are we going to nurture, for example, the independent software vendors to build the application? How, how, as an industry or as a nation even, how are we going to work with them, incentivize them? What are the revenue sharing models that we're going to pick up? To, so that they can work and deliver services on our behalf, to our consumers. So I think that's where, look at how to scale it, right? That's that's, the, that's I'm just trying to go about it. That's, that's something that we'll have to sort of definitely emulate uh, to a large extent to be successful. And that's when we'll see the true economic benefit of 5G because that's when, we, because we don't want to talk about 5G in relevance to telecom alone. We need to see how does it propagate across other verticals, how does it transform every version? That's where, that's where we where we to see IoT becoming mainstream uh, and through that small unit of fundamental teams. All right,
7: James, you're here. Okay, last but not least. Um, so 5G, look, if you talk a lot about mobile broadband, mobile broadband, but 5G is a platform that has been developed for industry as well. And it will be a key enabler or facilitator, that's drive industry 4.0. Yeah, we can see some examples today, you know, as I can example, the example of the architectures from Cradle Point where augmented reality um, and virtual reality is used. That's all facilitated on a 5G platform. I look here in Australia, I mean, we've, we've got world-leading networks here. I'm not going to get into debate with the, with the operators on who's got the best, but um, you know, we've got three networks here operating on 5G. Um, We've exceeded 50% population coverage, approaching 75%, you know, next to South Korea and China we've got the fastest median 5G speeds in the world. Um, And there's a number of other parameters, Uh, the spectrum that's just been released by the the, the ACMA, the millimetre wave, mid band spectrum and also low band spectrum. So we've got so many um, tools there for 5G at, at the moment. So I'm in a great position to leverage 5G and it should be leveraged for industry going forward, um, whether that's in mining or healthcare. Perhaps, perhaps the government um, could be a, a leader in 5G and, and, and look at um, leading healthcare and, and digitalising healthcare, for example. There's so many opportunities there. Just a couple of other points, perhaps more on the Iran economy. Uh, AMTA did a, a study a little while ago with um, the, the Mobile Nation. And it, it, Highlighted the the mobile industry contributes around 23 billion dollars to the economy in in 2017 and 19. 2017 and 19. Looking forward, that was to be around 65 billion dollars, and that's outside the mobile industry in in 2023. So that's pretty significant. I look further afield, more globally. PwC studies would say that um, 5G will enable applications that can facilitate economic growth of around 13 trillion dollars and employ in the order of 22 million people from that 5g value channel that's a pretty significant contribution to 5g industry all right james we'll we'll stay with you now maybe
1: for, for you first pop at the second question um what is the role for open cloud and open ran in 5g networks
7: open ran and open cloud a lot of discussion around that point. point first up so I'll, I'll give a perspective here i mean first up Ericsson strongly believes in openness and market competition. Um, open interfaces lead uh, drive innovation and ultimately lead to a better end user experience. So, so we strongly believe in that Ericsson um, not only drives and continue to drive um, standards in 3 gpp In fact, we're the largest contributor of 3 standards, we also contribute in other open forums such as OpenStack and ONA. So there, there's a now we look at the 5G networks that have actually been deployed. There's 145 commercial 5G networks. Um, there was 220 million uh, 5G subscribers at the end of last year, and that'll grow to 3.5 million by 2026, which is the uh, I pointed out earlier today. It's three quarters of a million new 5G subscribers every day. And 25% coverage, population coverage during this year. So it's pretty significant growth that's been facilitated or enabled through the 3G these standards. Um, so, so looking forward and um, we actually had a study done by analysis mason um, on on Open RAN and uh, what it mean or what it means for the, the customer service providers. And I guess there's a couple of things that have done through the whole report. And and one of those is the, the customer service providers, they're, they're looking at open range to provide innovation as a, as a way to provide innovation, um, supply diversity, and also total cost of ownership, improve total cost of ownership. At the same time, there are a lot of concerns around additional costs that will bring complexity that will bring into the, into the network, particularly as, as some of the technologies are still quite immature. Um, where we see, perhaps, the initial emergence of, of, of open RAM? I probably more mm-hmm. in enterprise, rural, rural deployments. And I think it's still somewhere to go to really understand what perhaps the trade-offs are with um, open, ne- open RAM networks in, in high density, high capacity networks, where you've got like, low latency, high capacity, like across multiple, uh, multiple different spectrum bands. I guess, finally, probably around after 2023 when we can see the lifestyle performance by right the All right, I wrote, what's your view on this? I, I, I see mm-hmm.
6: Open Cloud and Open RAN as, as an enabler to build that dynamically composable services is an infrastructure. Uh, so what we really mean is you should be able to pull together software, hardware to get it done in, in, in an open way to assemble as a service. So, what this, we'll, we'll go into the details, but what this really provides is the operators or the service providers are in full control with their own pace of innovation and growth market strategy rather than trying to be sort of restricted around solution sets. Right? So, that's 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 for me is where it starts. How do we achieve this? I think uh, one of the key things is the theme is desegregation to Disaggregation Desegregation uh, is Ultra important so that the composability comes in, the service composability comes in. Abstraction uh, is important to hide complexity. So, look at how it has sort of taken the transport network I and mean, hit the complexity of that allowed such a vast uh, adaptation, mass adaptation. That's what we should really be pushing for an API driven engine or an API driven fabric. Uh, I think this is a very powerful model where. The, the cloud, let's call it now the cloud layer, uh, that becomes both programmable with an API uh, and it's pretty modular as well. So the biggest advantage I see is now you have that, um, it's a very um, non telco term today, I don't think it will be in a few years, it will be very developer friendly. That environment has to be developer It shouldn't uh, sort of burden the developers to think about am I picking SRI or V or interfaces to deliver this should be completely um, abstracted. On uh, the open RAN side, I see it as the, uh, as the next step in terms of bringing in, uh, the way I see it, is it's a stepping stone from Vran, which talks about qualification, and O-RAN brings in that of, that concept of SDN into, into open RAN. The biggest advantage I see is, the RAN exists separately at two, the larger book cloud today, OpenRAN is the initiative that will tie the RAN back into the cloud which allows the end-to-end platform to become more of a service delivery platform that can be uh, sort of programmed by external parties, uh, be the, the application vendors. Yeah. But word of caution, uh, and I think the most interesting areas could be and yeah, here to watch is how does RAN integrated controllers complement and provide access and apps for real-time and near-real-time services. Yeah. I think the word of caution is a long way to go in terms of open RAM. V-RAN, I think it's a great stepping stone, giving that sort of uh, mass and volume. Uh, long way to go in sort of standards, integration, operationalization uh, but I believe it's a great step in the RAM. Rob, what's the role for Open RAN and Open Cloud? Yeah, I mean I think there's, there's two differentiations, as you said, there's
5: Open RAN and there's V-RAN, so, so let's start with Open RAN. I think being lucky to state their position, where we're open to open ran. Um, we believe we've got the best radios and the best baseband, but, but we're not against uh, unlocking those basebands to be used with other radios or our radios to be used with other basebands. So, so that's our strategy. Um, of course, virtualizing the, the baseband is 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 key, and we think, as we heard this morning, the, the edge compute certainly as, as we move things to the edge of the the GPU offload. That needs to be as close as possible. So, having an edge node that can do some of the, the, the upper layers uh, processing makes sense to us as well. So, so virtual RAN will, will happen regardless of ORAN. Um, but, but if you look at where we've seen ORAN deploy, and, and Rocket 10 is always used as an example, it's not actually ORAN, it's more of a, a mismatch of, of it pops is, but don't let, don't let the CTO hear uh, that. You look at the amount of resource they have to throw at this. It's like it's like opening a pub and also opening a microbrewery at the same time. I think if, if you've never done either, you're probably going to do one first. So I think, for me, I think that the word of caution to, to anybody going down the over route is, yeah, it looks easy, but I think the, the integration is just the, the proof of in the pudding and the process. So you may you may save, or potentially, you may save on the boxes, but you spend all of the objects to build those boxes into a network.
4: Yeah, I know what you think. I think from an open cloud perspective, I think that's uh, that's a reality, and I think uh, something that I would just mention about um, the APIs. I think if we go back to the analogy of the smartphone and the App Store. At the end of the day, the standardization that the cloud provider could bring, the Google's, Microsoft's, or or the like. You know, at the end of the day, that became the ecosystem where, where different partners could could connect your network to a market of APIs. So. I think cloud, you know, it's the way that we need in 5G to standardize how customers connect to you, and that would be the language. Of, you know, like that connectivity would happen through, through cloud, and that's something that um, we have been on that journey for, for many years on the, on the, board the network. In terms of open run I think it's a little bit of too early to You know, like uh, I, I see going to move to a different Architecture in the next few years, I and mean, it's something that is not gonna is not gonna stop. But in terms of open ground, we need to think about what's the what's the real value of that, and I think we need to touch on that like, uh, we need to understand what the trade-offs uh, before moving in that direction. So we are doing in TPG we are doing trials on both uh, open ground and vivo, and uh, I need to start to understand how that technology works and how does it fit on our business plan. I think. What we are here in TPG is that we are not the following uh, open run like religion. And we need to look at uh, where it does it make sense to do it. And probably has a part to play, but most likely has a, a part to play in the Australian ecosystem. But I don't think that uh, we are going to adopt a full open run. Uh, and I don't think many uh, in the world would do in the next few years uh, a full embrace of uh, open run uh, architecture I think in some bad specific band, some grid deployments, we could move in that direction. And, and that's what we're looking at. But uh, still, I think we have uh, a long way to go with uh, you know, the historic vendors that, uh, that we have in place here.
3: Kent, what do you think about Open Brand, Open yeah, Cloud, the role? Yeah, so um, Optus has been um, doing various trials um, and testing with our partners on OpenRAN and the uh, VirtualRAN. Um, the two benefits that we clearly have seen, one is uh, from the flexibility that we can choose the best of the breed, the best of the available products from the various hardware choices, from the hardware providers, as well as from the software providers. So that flexibility and that Um, you know uh, ability to bring the best of industry together that is definitely very attractive Um, the second benefit that we uh, saw in our trials and testing was also the ability to bring new use cases integration of uh, the other um, capabilities in the end-to-end network setup for example in the edge cloud in edge computing etc to bring into the environment and virtual reality. So those are the benefits that we see and we want to embrace through those um, partnership and through those uh, targeted uh, testing and deployments. But we do see at this stage, it is still a little bit early for a proliferation or for a wide deployment of the ORAN and V-ram. The reasons, there are two of them as well. The first one is the true openness. Um, we do still see some challenges in the true openness. Through the testing, very very often or a lot of times I encounter is that when we ask the question that the radio provider supports certain carrier aggregation combinations, but the baseband vendors may not, or vice versa, the baseband vendors support certain features, but the radio vendors do not. So the true openness, I think there are still a lot of opportunities to develop, and that I think it will be the key focus to really crack the technology piece and get, get mature, to maturity. So that's one, one aspect of the challenge that we need to, we need to work on with <coughs> the openness. And the second thing that some of the speakers have also spoken about is the cost, cost of the ownership. Now, from the um, virtualization, from the openness, you can reduce the cost of certain components of hardware, of excuse me, all the software. However, on the other hand, the integration, it does take a lot of effort, and the cost is very high. And the savings from the software, from the from the hardware space, and it is almost eroded by the additional cost of managing that integration, managing that complex solution. So today, those two, I think, will still need to be resolved, industry one, in order for the Uber and virtual right to really take off and become the major
2: and okay. so this is okay ash thanks thanks so you know, i think the you know the panels covered it pretty well in terms of the the opportunities but also the challenges and, um so i will be pretty brief but i mean to pick on Oran, we, we are an active member of the Oran alliance and we have a board position on, on that on that organization as well but i think it's a you know we welcome innovation that things like this bring it's good to shake up um some of the incumbencies on the traditional ways of thinking so um for that reason you know we, we want to play an active part in that and we will continue as Telstra to um, assess and validate and, and where appropriate implement um, new technologies and features into the network and often they are the sorts of things that drive um, some of the world first production requirements that we do it's not for the headlines and it's not for the technology's sake it's you know it's by keeping an eye on all these all these changes you know the changes that are happening in standards and in our technology um, are uh, always ongoing. It's what makes this industry so vibrant and so exciting to work in for, for everyone in the room. So it's a, it's a good thing. Um, we welcome it. Um, we uh, will continue to monitor it. And, and when we see opportunities to improve the service we provide to customers, we'll, we'll probably be one of the first to be implementing things that uh, I think the panel's covered. Well. All
1: right. So we've got three more questions. and I'm going to get all of your views on all three questions, which means we're going to have to be concise. So a minute on each of these. Um, third question, there's a push for a cloud native 5G core. Is this achievable or is it even desirable? Ash, I'll get you to answer that one first.
2: A quick answer. Um, In a minute. Is it achievable? Yes. Is it desirable? Ooh. Not only desirable, it's essential. Um, why do I say that? I think to, to really mature 5G services, you know, carrier providers are going to have to adopt cloud principles. Um, things like microservice architectures, containerization, continuous you know, integration, continuous delivery, um, and dynamic orchestration of, of, of services is really critical for us to take that next step. Um it, to us, how do I answer briefly, it's you know we we're going to get that anyway. So 5G standalone core relies on that sort of architecture. So, as we virtualize things like our um, session management functions and our user plane functions uh, to that architecture, the shift to containerization microservices, for example, allows us to do things we couldn't do before. Uh, things like you know, canary testing, which will allow us to push features very quickly to the network by having multiple versions of the software running at the same time and then different samples of people you know, operating on different versions. Um, The resiliency that that it can bring by having services that can be super resilient, um, because we're disconnecting network function from the hardware, meaning that you know the service can be very resilient to multiple hardware failures and can be automated and and advanced restoration. These are all things that absolutely we want to get to, and that that, uh, you know need those sorts of issues. So, my short answer is yes,
3: yes. (laughs) Okay, Ken, what do you think? All right, to keep the answers short, to just two uh, two sentences. First sentence Optus core network, mobile core network, is already built with virtualized functions. The second sentence is that we are still working with ecosystem partners to improve the functionalities and to overcome those challenges that I also shared about. All right, thank you, Yaga.
4: Yeah, I think from a TPG perspective, we see uh, also since I was in the case. And, and basically, if you want to be working on, you know, delivering a uh, proper specific network for our customers, we cannot be dependent on hardware deployment. We need to be able to deploy, to deploy whatever service our customer wants uh, with uh, standard hardware that we have and, and with uh, over virtualized uh, enabled functions. Otherwise, at the end of the day, you know, like the, the ecosystem and the market could be there, but the time to market, Bring that down. So, we don't think that uh, you could deliver a full native 5G network without that uh, cloud, cloud. Rob, the push
1: for a cloud native 5G core achievable, desirable? Yeah. yeah, I mean, the answer is
5: well, maybe the answer is what is a 5G core? Because a um, 5G core, in our view, isn't what a 4G core is. A 5G core and, you know, finishes at the edge. And, and where is the edge? Is the edge the data center in Sydney? Is the Edge the data center of the 5G site? Or is the Edge actually your CPU in your house? Or even your UE? Because your UE is going to connect to your your, your, your watch, to your, to your heart monitor, to all sorts of devices. And actually the Edge could be classed as being your your device if it it's supporting other, other devices. So yes is the answer. Virtualization has to happen so that we can, we can slice across multiple different hardware platforms,
6: including the end device UE. So yes is the answer. Uh, actually, words are around essential. It's critical. Right? That's, that's the. I can't say anything more against it. But uh, I think that the key thing here is to say, when you talk about cloud native, you talk about five G. code, it's built on service-based architecture, fundamentally, right? So SBA. How do you implement it? Cloud native, right? And cloud native is really—it's uh, really not a technology. It's an operating one. Really, that's that's the key thing that I want to share. Just not containers and Kubernetes. You're talking about an entire shift in transformation, an entire shift in the way. It's a cloud-native pattern how things are and grow up. Uh, and I think I love uh, what he said from Nokia. He's mentioning about the edge. I think that's exactly right. You're now scaling, through. you don't have that. You don't have that box-based approach anymore. What it also brings along is once you have this cloud-native layer, it brings in the concept of particular the APIs. That's so important. What, what happens is now you bring in the vendors or application vendors or any of that suit. They don't need to understand what the complexity of the network is. They just tell the intent and then expect the network to perform and satisfy. So I think it's extremely
7: critical. James, what's your view on this? Well, i will be consistent and yes to both. It is achievable and it is certainly very desirable. Um, there are networks being deployed today in this market that, that are using cloud um, native technology. So it, it is achievable. Yes, it's an ongoing development. It's driven by market needs, technology evolution, and of course, standards. But it's certainly achievable. Is it desirable? There's been a number of points made about that. But it, 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 it facilitates speed deploying and implementing new services, like has been mentioned. Um, it, it provides an agile platform where um, to, to address scalability in the networks and also efficiency with, with high levels of automation which have been mentioned. So when taking all those things to account, yes, is very desirable. Alright James, another question for you. What, what does
1: standalone 5G mean for the mobile network? Why is it important?
7: Well standalone is really a, I guess an, an enhanced not an enhancement, but it's an architecture that really will fully address 5G use cases. Going beyond what can be achieved with, with non-standalone, which many networks are, have, well, most networks or virtually all networks have deployed today, with some early standalone deployments that have taken place. I mean, it, it does a number of things. Simplified architecture in the regular network and, and the, also the user devices means faster connectivity, better data rates that can be achieved. Um, it, it, it can facilitate different use cases, for example, where only a standalone network could be deployed, perhaps in an industrial application, for example. It, it facilitates end to um, end cross enhancements, quality of service enhancements, it facilitates network slicing, edge computing. So it, it, it provides a number of enhancements and benefits that non standalone networks can deliver.
6: Carl? Uh, 5G is is that, like, as, um, I think it's really the true 5G, let's it, right? So that's where we will start seeing the use cases, that's all perfect. I think, uh, I'll let, coming from an operator side uh, myself, uh, I'll definitely look at three pillars of conversation here. One is, uh, how, do we, uh, how are we going to automate and orchestrate that part of the network? That's going to be like, one of the top transformation experiments that uh, I think the operators would be undertaking as the first one. That in couple, that in uh, sort of uh, couple nature would be, how are we, because 5GSA would completely change the way the the service velocity into the market. You'll have to have very rapid uh, service deployments into the market, be it the edge, be the core. That also drives the um, basically the uh, go to market strategies as well. So, what will happen here is with 5GSA, you will have to have an aligned, say, CI CD model to go with a continuous integration, continuous deployment model that supports, so basically, automation across multiple clouds. Multi-layer, multi-layer automation from the infrastructure all the way up to the services. We need a CI/CD model that actually works with all the other you know, repositories to be able to push it, push new service introduction because it's going to be otherwise, it's going to create a lot of burden, and that's going to be missed opportunities for the operators themselves. The third one would be around, what is the right DevOps model that we have to pick up? So these are the things that come to my mind when I think about that. Rob, what do you think?
5: Yeah. And I have a slightly different view, and I agree with both my colleagues here that um, 5G brings all sorts in terms of service, but for me, I'm an old school boy, I like coverage first, then I like capacity, then I like capability, and, you know, today I've got 5G phones, it's got 4G on it. Why has it got 4G on it? Because we don't have standalone deployed on the lower bands. Now, most people, 99%, including my mum and my dad, if they've got 5G, they want to see 5G on the sim. If they, what we saw today, if we're paying a premium for 5G, I want to see 5G on there. Of course, the service has got to be half decent, but as I said, the handset today, more than 30 metres of waste on a handset like that. When we've got AR glasses and VR glasses, yeah, we'll need 100 metres and we'll leave 5 milliseconds. But for me, I think we've missed the trick. I think that's what standalone brings, and the sooner that we get standalone, and I know some operators are close to having it deployed now. But the sooner we get standalone, the sooner we get 5G on the low bands, the sooner we can actually use the uplink of the low bands to, to, to stretch the fives and the 2.6s and the threes. So, so for me, yes, we got all the fancy slicing and the services, but for me, standalone, just as we saw with T-Mobile in the States, standalone gives 5G national coverage, and that's what we should get out there first.
4: Yeah, yeah I got one on standalone. I put it my own oh, no problem. So, <laughs> no, I mean, in Australia, some operators we have a challenge with the uh, with the power event. Uh, basically, you know, like to use a uh, 5G, we need to use a computer swap, um, computer swap network. But it definitely takes a uh, it takes a lot of effort and cost. But uh, when we get a standalone core, which we are really uh, working with the vendors to get it as soon as possible, uh, we are going to be able to enable 85% of population coverage in the top cities cities in Australia by the end of the year, and that. Uh, Look into where we come from. You know the challenges that we have ahead. I think that's um, that's what the standalone core is bringing for us today. Obviously, you know we've started to talk about applications and services that we want to uh, deliver specifically performance for our customers, or that it's built in the standalone core. But today, what we are working is to offer a standard uh, coverage to all of our customers in, in the main cities in Australia. Okay. Okay.
3: Yeah. Um, 5G is not really a 5G without a standalone. That's my view that NSA is only the starting point, but when the 5G, when does 5G really become a 5G, it is the standalone architecture that is fully implemented. So besides the benefits that uh, Yahoo Rob talked about on the coverage, that you can actually activate the 5G layer on the low band spectrum frequencies, there are also the other things that we bring the use cases, etc. and one, very unique part is that the standalone network will enable us to bring the five G networks to areas where four G has not existed before. And that opens up a true potential for the enterprise networks, private networks, and a lot more areas that we can explore that doesn't have the previous infrastructures of three G or
2: four G. Alright. Ash? Yeah I mean I'm Two years ago now, and time flies Telstra and Ericsson did Australia's first end-to-end standalone 5G call at the 5G Innovation Centre, up the Gold Coast using our 5G spectrum. A year ago, we completed end-to-end activation standalone enablement on our mobile network. Um, But of course, it takes an ecosystem um, and, you know, to to really unlock all of that. The reason it's important is because some of the transformational features of 5G, the things that take us away from talking about, you know, a handset, um, things like ultra reliable, low latency, massive machine communication, other, other features like advanced features like slicing, they come available with 5G. Um, and so we need standalone uh, to really unlock that next next level of 5G capability. You know, slicing, for example, allows us to to really customise the, the service not just to a customer in a particular location, but to an application and that customers to us. Um, capacity or speed or whatever those things are, and to do those end-to-end things with well, other advanced features, you really require that standalone um, capability to you across the ecosystem. All right,
1: our final question for our panel. One one minute answer tops for this, guys. Um, the final question, how can 5G improve revenue, and can it claim a share of the wallet spend currently dedicated to fixed broadband? Ash, you take the
2: first question. Yes. Yeah, so the first thing that comes to mind and in the mobile world, that's really that spectrum. This is where millimeter wave becomes so exciting because the, that capacity that millimeter wave unlocks really allows us to potentially do um, fixed wireless or home broadband in ways that a mobile network that before weren't possible. Um, because you can download more things simultaneously at higher speeds uh, than you could in the past. And we know that right now, of course, we're at a time when people are really valuing um, reliable high speed secure internet connections at home. Um, and traditionally, internet at home has been a fixed, fixed affair. Um, but with the advent of 5G, with the introduction of more spectrum, more capacity, um, and of course with, you know, Telstra's 5G network now being available in uh, more than 160 towns and cities across the country, two and a half thousand suburbs, um, we now have options for customers where we can perhaps isn't serving their needs and we can offer them, you know, alternatives to provide a better Okay,
3: uh, I must share a little bit of the glory as well, right? <laughs> <what our> brand <laughs> so uh, Optus, yes, um, we started our fixed wireless access product almost 18 months ago and that has really been a huge uh, success in the market. Today we have covered more than 808,000 of the households in Australia and we have uh, you know, so many customers enjoying this uh, wonderful product for their home connectivity especially in the COVID uh, time working from home, staying from home and learn from home. And today we have seen that this is really a very key and fundamental use cases just for 5G in the last 18-24 you know, months and we are monetizing it from, the, you know, from this uh, benefit of the technology. Going forward definitely that we will launch and we are launching a whole series of the new products, as what our CEO talked about this morning as well, uh, coming out with innovative features, products that our customers will love, and riding on the uh, 4G and 5G networks that we already have today. So those features will create the stickiness, will create the real attractiveness for our customers to consider the services from office. So I think monetization, we have started, and there, there are more and more opportunities coming up. Right.
1: Yeah, I got how can 5G improve re- revenue and claim a claim share of the spend currently
4: dedicated to fixed broadband? Yeah, obviously, you know, FWA is a product that we have on 4G and we are just about to launch on, on 5G. But in, in DPQ overview is, you know, we will deliver whatever the, customer, the, the best option for the customers. In some cases would will be our own fiber. in some cases would be FWA, but also we, we think that, we, you know, MVM still has a, a strong part to play and we are the second that, uh, customer for the in of uh, volume and, and we don't see that changing uh, any tension. I think in tension monetization there is an part that can happen and will happen, and it's already happening obviously on Auto uh, and Telstra from BIC, uh, from but really when we think about what's the, the industry and the, the money to be made would be more on, uh, on the industry and IoT uh, in the next couple of weeks.
5: Okay, weeks. Yeah, I I think it's a balance. I think there's no way that uh, 5G can totally replace the fibers. I think, you know, from a theoretical point of view, that's not possible. Uh, If fiber is deployed, it it tends to be the cheapest option, uh, especially in dense metro areas. That said, not everybody can get fiber, um, uh, and we know that there is a balance then between fiber and fixed wireless access. So certainly fixed wireless access plays its part. And in most of the 5G business cases I've seen for, for launch fixed wireless access is a big part of that uh, business case as well as uh, revenue protection, but, but but my view is that it's the enterprise segment that gives us the, the the operators the uplift or the, the revenue uplift. It's it's you know we saw today from from the, the earlier presentation 2.7 GAG on the on revenue from from mobile. It, it's not enough to sustain a the business. There has to be some uplift. Yes, it gives us some, but it's going to be limited to what 20% of the market maybe. be. It's that enterprise segment that we have to go after to get the new revenues.
6: Okay, I will. Uh, I think it's um, proper ideas. it's going to be more complementary at this time. Um, I don't think one is going to replace the other, but what 5G really brings is, it actually addresses the last mile issue. Um, Giving both better performance, characteristics, and coverage, and coverage support. Right. Uh, the, the highlight for me is it actually introduces time sensitive networking into the edge. So I have more than Ethernet, Fibre and fibre um, optics, bringing TSN uh, into the edge, which means now you're able to support like uh, BTP, TTP transport and stuff. Right. So that actually naturally enables it does support more applications, which will then come along that would have a like, real-time control of automation systems, and that's, that's, the, that's the key, I think. Uh, but it's going to be more of a
7: post-performance discussion and it's too early to predict. but I think that will work. Okay, James, you get final word. Just finding, Just a few other observations, I guess, mostly around uh, fixed wireless access. I mean, we, we do see that um, fixed wireless access is, is on the increase. Um, service providers are, are deploying fixed wireless access more and more. By 2026, we expect that it'll increase by uh, about threefold. It will also take up around 25% of of the mobile network traffic, so there's a challenge there to to, to address. Um, But but with increased amounts of spectrum being made available, technology advancements in 4G and 5G is more efficient, the the cost of it is coming down. Let's make it more feasible for service providers to provide a a quality quality access service and and to do it reasonably quickly to leverage existing infrastructure and so forth it will really be, uh, we see it as a complement to, to broad, um, you know, fibre broadband services. Um, but it, it certainly does have a place and, you know, it can leverage the ecosystems that are in, that are in place to develop them from 4G and now 5G. So, yeah, there's certainly a potential there for the digital sector. All right,
1: thank you, James. And thank you to all of our expert panel. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll wrap it there.
0: And that's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll see you again next week.